Firstly, hello Rob. I have to say Rob first because that's not, that's the thing that we always do. How you doing, Rob? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks yourself. You still got your moon photo behind you? Oh yeah, I haven't got around to updating that. Well, I don't know what the current affairs are. Really, there's not a lot going on, is there? Do you take that with your S23 Ultra because it looks incredibly realistic? <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what, what I took it with. Maybe 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 you thought you took it with the S23, <laughs> <laughs> but they they slipped another one in there and you weren't looking. <laughs> That's a different voice. We've got a different voice in the podcast. Um, Jason. Yes. How are you doing? Yes. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So guys, this is Jason T. Lewis, who um, everyone everyone knows Jason. Um, and Jason technically should have been on a week ago. And uh, Rob and I did talk about this briefly on the on the, the, the emergency podcast that we put out last Tuesday. And um, But we had a bit of an issue, Jason, didn't we, with your... Well, basically, we sat down for two hours, had an amazing chat... Yeah. And it was genuinely brilliant. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because you're here. It was it was brilliant. Um, and we had some people from the Discord server sitting and listening, as they are doing are doing now. And uh, th- then it all went a bit wrong, didn't it, the day after? Yeah, I uh, I made the mistake of not well, just trusting my technology to do what it's supposed to do, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, not testing it beforehand. So, you know, my audio came out a little glitchy. And it just was, uh, it was just bad all the way around. I don't mind admitting that I genuinely could have cried when I heard it. I thought this it was one of those moments where you think this is oh, that's not real. It, it isn't really skipping like a like a nineties yeah. CD disco. It's, um, it's I must be dreaming, but it gone. Yeah, and when I heard it, I was just like, I don't think I've had anything happen to me like that in years. So it was just kind of like. You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. I, I had the same thing. I wrote about this on, on Substack and said, I, I don't think, I was trying to think back to if I'd lost anything particularly meaningful. And I haven't really. I've, I've lost things like bits of B-roll here and there. And I've perhaps done yeah. a, a, like a, a shoot to camera and had to redo it, which is annoying. Yeah. But it's not, um, it wasn't quite as bad as that, <laughs> losing two hours of, of really good content. Um, but I suppose yeah. the, the nice thing is it's a bit of a, it's like a lost episode. So I think it's yeah. got a bit of mystique about it. And only about three people heard it, inclu- well, not including us, but plus us. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was good, Rob, wasn't it? I'm not just believing, I'm not dreaming that. Oh, it was. I was gutted. But, but thankfully, he's come back. Yes. <laughs> Amazingly. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Well, thanks for coming back, Jason. Really appreciate it. We won't just yeah. go through uh, word for word what we said last time, because that would be weird. But um, for people who don't know, uh, Jason, introduce yourself. Yeah, so uh got a YouTube channel called Painfully Honest Tech, uh, and I've been doing it now for, in some form or another, for 10 years. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess, it, I guess Painfully Honest Tech proper uh, started in 2016, I believe. So, so yeah, I've been doing it a while and, uh, you know, I got a background as a writer and a musician and all this different stuff, but somehow I ended up making a living on, uh, <laughs> on, with online video. Who knew? <laughs> Here you are now full time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember uh, we we spoke about this last time, didn't we? But I, I remember watching your um your video when you you just you li- literally just gone full time, hadn't you? And it was at the yeah. time that I was thinking about doing the same thing. And um yeah, that that was quite inspiring. I think it, it really kind of uh, what what was nice about it is that you, were, you obviously you were very on obviously very honest about it. But you you did kind of point out that you didn't know what was coming next, and um that's exactly yeah. how I was feeling because I, I, I thought I either do this now or I I don't because if I don't do it now I'll probably put it off forever. And um, that did help that video. Yeah, I I was I remember I'd been working a job at the University of Iowa for for almost ten years, and it was the kind of job I was I was the director of a small academic program with writing, and I, and I could have stayed there until I retired, and I kind of just got to the point where if I was going to do it, I had to do it, and. And so I just I just sort of took the leap. I I tried to give myself as much of a, a cushion to fall back on. And I even after I officially quit the job, I stayed on for another six months in like a part time capacity to to sort of bridge the gap between when I left and when new people came, the new person came in. 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's been it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, about three months after I officially left the job, the whole world shut down for a pandemic, and that changed that changed a lot of things. Um, and so yeah, it's just it's been a very it's been a very interesting, I guess. Well, it's been it's been a little bit over three years at this point. And so it's been an interesting time to say, like, I don't feel like I, you know, sometimes you read other people's stuff and it's like, oh, my goodness, they're doing so well. And I just, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm like king of the world or anything, but I have been paying the bills. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a different kind of feeling to be like to be somebody who's running your own business and mm. and to have the creative aspect kind of folded into it. Is a, is an additional challenge. So, yeah, and I think what what's made it even more interesting and challenging is, is that tech YouTube has changed a lot, hasn't it? Um, I thought yes. I'd ask Rob about this as well. Cause look, looking at it from your perspective, Rob, because you've you've watched tech YouTube for a long time, and I've watched all the tech YouTube. Yeah, seen it all, haven't you? Um, from, from your perspective, has it changed a lot for you as well? In any meaningful way? It, it, it has in terms of uh, people that I've followed for years are clearly getting a bit bored of it. There's a lot of jaded tech YouTubers out there. Yeah, you're right. That's fair. That's fair for sure. I've noticed that a lot of people that I've watched for an extended period of time have done videos recently where they're like, I'm thinking of, you know, something's got to change or I'm going to do something different or, or that kind of thing. And... It's just, it just seems like more than usual. Hmm. Uh, I, I watch Random Frank P, and he made a video where he was, you know, kind of thinking about rebranding because he started his channel when he was in college, and now he's in his late twenties hmm. and has a family, has a house, has all that stuff, and you know, being called a Random Frank P feels weird. <laughs> and I, I mean, I can totally, I can totally understand that. So, so yeah, but it's. It, it has changed. I mean, one thing that I really appreciated about, about tech YouTube and, and all of YouTube really beforehand was in the early days, it just felt like people sitting in their spare room or their bedroom or whatever, and they got, it, they got a product, and they, and, and they just wanted to share what they had learned about it. And then there was the, the next phase where all of a sudden you can make a living at it, and then... A lot of those people got over a million subscribers and, you know, now they've built media empires and there are people who have come up in waves since and everybody does everything a little bit differently. So, I mean, when you, when you look at, when you look at Linus Media Group, uh, <laughs> I mean, what is it, 15 million subscribers on, the, on their main channel and millions on their, on each of their other channels and, I remember watching Linus when he was still doing videos for um, NCIX, which was the the electronics store that he worked for, <laughs> and like that was that was way back. So it's it's just a whole it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game. And things change, don't they? I mean, I, I found it in, even in my limited experience. I mean, I've, I've only been doing this for three years, so I'm very. I've not reached the jaded stage yet. I'm quite, I feel quite grateful for that. But things do change as soon as you you get. I think it's not it's not necessarily a certain number of subscribers. Obviously, that 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 does make a difference. But it's when you start working with brands and you start getting stuff sent to you from bigger companies, and then yeah. you get your own studio or you do it like you know, like you've done. You've got an amazing studio at home. As soon as you start doing that and separating it away from the bedroom thing, it becomes something completely different and. You've got to do that really to grow. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's that it's that it's that classic. It's a, it's a double-edged sword where you, you want to have that homely kind of in the back bedroom thing, um, which I had you know, when I did it in the, literally the back bedroom, very tiny room. You want that feeling still because yeah, that's how you get the connection with your audience. But equally, if you want to get beyond that and build a business out of it, you've got to do more. And, and it's what fascinates me is where that tipping point is from being the, the bedroom youtuber to running a business i think and, that, and that's right. where you have to be so careful not to be too influenced by the brands that you're working with 
not too driven by the numbers, but driven enough to pay the bills and et cetera, et cetera. Right. I found that quite challenging at times. Have you found the same thing? Yeah. I, well, what was weird for me is that I went from, I think, 40-ish thousand subscribers and then had a, had a video go viral about the iPhone XS and suddenly I, you know, I think I got a million point three views or something like that. And all of a sudden I had all these new people come to the channel. And I went in the span of two or three months, I went from 40, 50,000 to 115,000. And, and it just, there are growth spots that you go through all the way through that, you know? And I just went, my mentality was still as a smaller, like maybe almost bed, bedroom style YouTuber. And that's how I thought of myself. But suddenly like the, the spotlight of it was much more of the, of the scope of someone who has a much larger channel. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to adjust to that. I mean, cause I, I hadn't spent the time from 50,000 to a hundred thousand building relationships with brands or, or any of that kind of thing. I just kind of, all of a sudden I've, I shot, right past all that. And it's, it took me a long time to just find my footing. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, and I say this and, and it ends up sounding kind of disingenuous or something, but I, having a million plus viewed video was, was really damaging to my channel in some ways because I just wasn't prepared for, you know, having, having a video go that far and having so many people come to my channel and think that that one thing was the thing that I did on my channel and having to adjust from there was just really weird because once you, once you hit those big numbers, you want to, you want to keep hitting the big numbers. But mm. I, there's, there's a learning curve to figuring out how to hit the numbers as well. And especially in tech where it's very cyclical and unless you have a very large channel, you're not getting a million views per video. No, <laughs> I mean, that, not getting a hundred thousand views per video unless you're, you know, in the in the million plus category. I mean, then then it's just math. Yeah. You know, if if Marquez Brownlee has fourteen million subscribers and ten percent of his subscribers click when he puts out a video, I mean, he triggers the algorithm, and that's just how it goes you know he he's got those kinds of numbers so it, it took me a long time to also just to get comfortable with the idea of what I was doing you know was I that that sort of guy that ranted about stuff or was I still the guy who did reviews of things as well or was it some combination it was it was really difficult to to come to terms with especially especially as the pandemic happened after I really felt foolish talking about things like 120 Hertz displays when the whole world was shut down and really significant, significant things were happening. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was definitely a, a, a very different kind of ride. Yeah, I think also like talking about numbers at the moment. I don't know how you feel about this, but in terms of you know a, a decent performing video, that at the moment that's anywhere between eight thousand to twenty thousand views. I think really that's that's doing pretty well, yeah. um, and a million views on a, on a regular or long, whatever you want to call it, long form regular YouTube video is just it's otherworldly. Really, it takes. A lot. I've never hit that on YouTube. I think the most I've hit is seven hundred thousand, um, but that's right. over three years nearly. That's like that's sustained growth. Six hundred ninety-five k, actually, Mark. I knew you'd come out with that straight away. <laughs> he knows more about my business than I do. But um, no, but it's true. And, and but then then you've got the conversely, you've got the the TikToks of the world where I, I have hit a million views on on a video on there. And yeah. that was relatively easy in a way because it was just a chopped up piece of. In fact, no, it wasn't even that. It was just me talking to the to my phone. You know. Yeah. Uh, so well, that that's what my my million view video was iPhone pre-order night and I just was kind of feeling salty about the iPhone 10 in general. And so I I made a video that that was my basic premise was I'm not going to pre-order the phone. Every year I pre-order the phone. This year I'm just not going to do it. And 
it there was no b-roll it was just me talking to the camera for like 12 minutes <laughs> and and it went it went that far but i don't think you know speaking of youtube changing i don't think there's really any way that a video in that style would hit that hard hit that hard in the current state of youtube no, I think it was a perfect uh, mix of of just like you said the the time that you you published it in terms of the, the era of YouTube, but also yeah. the fact that the 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 X was such a a big release for for Apple and such a, a um, polarizing release as well, I suppose. And it just all kind of yeah. went together. It, it it was the perfect timing. But again, you could you yeah. weren't you weren't thinking you you were going for a viral video. You were just posting something you wanted to post, weren't you? But yeah, and and it was just one of those days where I had already released a video that day, hmm. and I I just was. I just was kind of, I had the time and I was feeling salty and I just kind of made the video and threw it up there with just a screenshot from Apple's presentation, you know, as the, as the, as the, the thumbnail with, I think I'm done as the thumbnail title. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it just went crazy. And <laughs> I, yeah, I, in, in this day and age with YouTube, I just think that the way the algorithm works and the way that the way that people partake of videos is way way different than it would have been then and yeah. uh i i'd love to figure out what the formula is now but <laughs> i'm not sure there is one i don't i'm not convinced you know, there it, is it's so it's so funny like i mean not not funny funny but i i ended up making uh, I ended up making that month. So two months later, I got a check for $12,000. And I'd never made that much money all at one time on anything, especially connected to like a creative endeavor. And, uh, and then, you know, you try not to do it, but part of you is like, wow, is this the future? <laughs> Am I going to see this over and over again? This and, is easy. Yeah, and it, but it just ultimately it just isn't that easy. Like I've been following, you know, I've been talking and I've been following along with you, starting your your other venture with uh, Solo Solo Club and thinking about what it takes to build a business beyond like the main thing that you do, you know. And mm. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of was able to coast a little bit on that stuff uh, when I first started, and I've had. Well, I mean, just recently, I, you know, I've, I've live streamed on Amazon for several years at this point, and that was a pretty steady paycheck, but they've done a lot of changing to that platform, and it's not as reliable as it was. So all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, that was a lot more of my paycheck than I thought it was, <laughs> you know? And and so I've, I'm doing a lot to try and to try and fill in with a lot of different things so that I never get caught in this position of like, oh... Now I'm, I'm just stuck. Yeah, yeah. You've you've got to you've got to kind of spread your wings a bit, haven't you? Really, which is why I, yeah. I've, I'm doing the solo club thing as well. But I mean, part of the reason I'm doing that as well is because it's it's obvious that a lot of people want to do what we're doing. They're aspiring right. to it, um, and it's yeah, it's kind of a way of kind of educating but also demonstrating to people who want to do that the reality of it. Really, which is, is what I've discovered in a very short period of time you know, running this full time just over a year, I've learned so much. And um, yeah. I don't know if I've done it the right or wrong time, really. I've got, I've, I've got, there probably is never a right time, but um, I've, I've definitely done it during a period where, as we've been saying, that the whole landscape of YouTube and content in general really is changing massively. And then yeah. AI comes along and changes it again. But um, that's another topic, isn't it? But I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's doom and gloom personally, but then again, I, I've not been doing it as long as yourself. Well, I, I mean, to, to Rob's point, I think there was, de there has definitely been a, you know, maybe multiple periods of time where I have been kind of jaded. It's like, Oh, I have to talk about, you know, this is my 10th iPhone season or what, <laughs> you know, just going through the cycle over and over again. Um, wanting to do something, you know, continuing to do those things and, and have those conversations, but wanting it to also be like somewhat less two dimensional and more dynamic, uh, which, which is hard because YouTube rewards 
just really narrow focus mm. and, and, and staying in a very narrow lane. And for me, I've never done very well with that. I get very antsy when I've done something that many times. And, you know, I, I don't really read comments all that much anymore. I mean, not that I don't read them, but if I get negative comments, I don't really pay attention. But whenever there's an argument about something that I, I've, I find completely ridiculous, like 120 hertz versus 60 hertz screens on smartphones, I, and, and the conversation seems to go on forever, like years and years and years. And I'm just like, can we not? Can we, can we not? Yeah. It doesn't matter, does yeah. it? No, it re, I mean, it, it matters a lot to some people. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I can't, I can't figure it out. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, tech, like so many things, is very tribal. And, you know, it's, it's been interesting over the years to, to kind of get to know the ins and outs of the Android side of smartphones versus the iPhone side. Um, you know, the Android side definitely has a little bit of a little brother complex where, you know, a little Napoleon complex there where they just, you know, they want to be recognized and they feel like it. Apple's unfairly, unfairly singled out. Um, and then there are Apple, Apple people who just won't even deign to converse about something so, so, you know, so beneath them as, as an Android phone, you know, the whole blue and versus green bubble conversation. That's just crazy, isn't it? I think one of the biggest challenges for this at the moment for, for those people is that you can't really buy a bad phone now. Mm-mm. You can't really buy a bad anything, I don't think, these days. Like if it's a car or a computer or a phone or a... You can buy a bad... I was going to say tablet, but the iPad, I personally think, is still the best. But um, generally speaking, you can't... All this stuff is pretty pretty good and pretty rock solid these days. It's very rare you come across something rubbish, which makes our job a little bit harder, well, quite a bit harder, because it's nice occasionally to get a product that is really terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, today I've been reviewing a, a phone from TCL, like a 200 quid um, yeah. 5G phone, which, okay, it's not brilliant. It's, you know, it's a little bit slow here and there. The camera's a bit hit and miss and what have you, but it's not bad. You know, I, I've made an entire YouTube video with it and it lasted all day in, in Birmingham shooting video all day and everything. And that just illustrates that you can, you can get, you know, you can get away with that now. And like Rob and I have talked no end about the nothing phone one last year, which is technically a budget phone, really not quite as much, not quite as budget as the TCL, but I mean, that phone, Rob's just that threw everything out of the water, didn't it? In terms of expectations, I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I'm still raving about it now, <laughs> still. But, um, but well, that, like I say, that that doesn't help anything really because it's. I, th- I think we just need something new. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, not wanting to be an Apple fanboy or anything, but Apple does drive a lot of this. You know, the whole VR thing. If as soon as they do something related to VR or mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, then suddenly we're into a new era for something. No matter how expensive it is, how silly it is, how flawed it is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we're all yeah. kind of waiting for that. I think there's, there's. I don't know if you found this yourself, but there's this kind of within the community of tech reviewers. There's this kind of undercurrent of, come on, when, when are Apple going to launch this headset thing? Where, where are the eye goggles? You know, we want to start. We we need something new to talk about and get angry about. The thing that's been, so I even noticed this back in like 2018, 2019. I think really in 2018, we probably reached peak smartphone where at least the the major brands that were up there, Samsung, Apple, you know, Google has, has made some, some ground up with their, with their more recent phones, but everybody was making great phones at that point. Um, and now it's just, it's reached. So instead of, instead of things being special and unique, like they had been in the previous 10 years where it just seemed like every iteration of a smartphone would bring some new game changing feature to the, to the table. 
now they've now it's gone to being more of a commodity. You know, the commodification of smartphones means that smartphones are no longer driving the driving the tech industry. You know, the, it was it was the it technology for ten years, hmm. and now it's now it's kind of flattened out. And and you're right, you can't buy a bad phone. Uh, for, I mean, those TCL phones are really great, and they're a couple hundred bucks. And hmm. you know, for most people, for most people, that would be totally fine. And you know, the one thing that I can say about the the budget phones that I've used, and and then given on to say my my daughter or something like that is that she's experienced a lot more a lot more difficulties with broken screens or you know all of a sudden the screen just dies or something along those lines than you would experience with a flagship phone hmm. so i think i think while those phones are are really great at 200 Three hundred dollars. They're not. They're not like six-year phones, no. in the way that the flagship phones are. And and so, I mean, it's kind of. It's then a case of like, well, do I replace the three hundred-dollar phone once every two years, <laughs> or, or you know, do I buy the fifteen hundred-dollar iPhone and keep it for six? Yeah. So. Or trade it in every year as they would prefer. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, you yourself, Jason, are still rocking a 12 Pro Max, aren't you? I am. Which I is, am. Which and is I just, wild, because given your access to other phones, you stick with the 12 Pro Max. I, get, I got the 14 Pro Max and, and reviewed it, but I gave it to my wife. We kind of traded phones. Like, she had the 12 Pro Max, and I, I gave... The, the reason I gave the 14 Pro Max away was when I'm, I, I switch SIM cards all the time from one phone to the next. And the 14 Pro Max was the first iPhone that, you know, made you do eSIM. And so it became exponentially harder to switch from that phone to use another phone as your, as your main phone. And that's always the way that I've done it. Like if I'm going to review a phone... I'm going to use it as my phone for the period of time that I'm reviewing it. And sometimes I get tired of Apple and I want to throw my SIM card into a Samsung phone. So I just, I just kind of was like, I didn't see enough difference between the two to really make it, to me it was just kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, 12 Pro Max still works great. Battery life is... Battery life is sagging a little bit. I think I'm at 91% capacity, and it gets me through the day. I know the 13 and the 14 have considerably better batteries, but it's not such that it it impacts my my usage. So, yeah, I I just kind of got to a point where I'd been on on that train of every year different phone and I I got to the point where with computers and with with smartphones where I never felt like I was settled into a device so the the every device felt somehow new somehow not quite optimized for what I wanted to do with it and I just kind of got tired of that that sort of upset in my in my workflow and I just was like and I've just decided just to, to stick with the 12 Pro Max in a color that I hate. <laughs> Which color is it? But it's the gold. Oh, yeah. yeah not keen on that. Although I'd rather but, have the gold than the deep, the deep purple iPhone 14 Pro Max. I, I kind of like. Oh, massively! Yeah, I only bought it because of the band. <laughs> Literally, because of because of deep purple, which was a yeah, stupid I, reason. I kind of like the purple myself, um, but yeah, I. <laughs> I, w- I kind of want this space black iPhone 14 Pro Max. Um, I'm, I'm drawn to, I'm always drawn to like the black colors of tech, which was an, became a problem for me this past week because I was doing a review of the new Sonos speakers and my room is very dark. 
<laughs> and and I got the black speakers, and it was it became a challenge to to really highlight the speakers. Where if I'd gotten the white, it would be a much a much easier deal. On the, we'll talk quickly about those those era 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 speakers. Um, yeah. Just very quickly, they sent me the black ones as well, and they're so hard to shoot. If you if you rely yeah. on autofocus quite a bit like I do, um, the the mesh grill you can see it in my video actually it keeps hunting around it, yeah. and I haven't always got time to faff around with with manual focus, but I had to keep reverting to that because it's um, they look lovely. If you get the lighting right, it's some of the nicest yeah. stuff I've shot actually. Even if I say so myself, it, they look lovely, um, but they're so hard to to film because they're so dark. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the lighting in the room when I'm trying to shoot it looks really cool i'm using some different colored lights and they're and it's kind of refracting off of the grill and stuff and it looks really cool i've become very challenged to actually capture that <laughs> in the camera <laughs> but it's always better in person it, isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah sonos i i really like these speakers and and i think the sonos 300 is the era 300 is is a big step forward for sonos because yeah. it's the first of their standalone speakers that has Atmos slash spatial audio support. And it actually works a lot better than I thought it would. It's really good, isn't it? Just, yeah. just very quickly on this, because I, I got told off by a lot of people in the comments when, when I, when I um, published my review, was that I think, I mean, I, I was working from some press notes that I had. And I don't know if you spoke to their press team, but um, no. I, I had a note that said, that, and someone said this, because I didn't make it up, that the Era 300 was replacing the Play 5, which when you think about it, doesn't make a huge amount of sense because the Play 5 right. isn't really the same type of speaker and it's still for sale, actually. Right. Um, and immediately when I said that in the video, as you know, you know the, the Sonos police yeah. came knocking and said, you're totally wrong what you're talking about. And I said, well, I've, I've just got, an, I've got a note here in my, on my notes from a press call with Sonos. And now, yeah. I, th then I frantically started looking through the web and looking for other reviews and no one else is really mentioning it. And you think, did I just make I that think, up? <laughs> well, I, I know that they're not officially replacing the five. I think they're coming out with an era 500 at some point in the next, you know, however long it takes them. Uh, because and, and the 5 model that's out now, if you count the Play 5 and then the original, it's like Gen 3 or 4. So, and it's not been out that long. But yeah, I, I've seen a couple of people say that, and maybe it's because the, the press stuff said that. But I, I think that it's actually more replacing the Play 3, which got taken out of the lineup a couple of years ago and never replaced. But I think the only thing, the Era 300 doesn't have the the kick that the fives do. And so I'd be interested, if they are planning on doing a, an Era 500, I'd, I'll be really interested in, in checking that out. But I think the Era 300 is a really interesting speaker because it it can by itself do the the atmos thing and do it relatively well i mean i'm sort of i'm on the fence about atmos and spatial audio when it comes to audio uh i've heard it done really well i've heard it done not very well <laughs> and and i just kind of until well actually sonos Supporting spatial audio. This is the first company that says they're supporting spatial audio specifically that is outside of Apple's ecosystem. Hmm. My worry with spatial audio was that, I mean, if it remains just a trick that Apple devices can do, then it's not really a, it's not really going to be a format that can become universal. Hmm. But if, the, if, if this kind of support continues, if more and more manufacturers start supporting it, then, then it, could, it, it could be. But I actually got into a small argument with, with somebody in the comments of, of my video where he, he was just like, oh, the spatial audio is just a gimmick. You know, it's, they just put a plug in on it and, and make it. And, okay, so for the older stuff that they don't go back to the source material for yeah okay it is somewhat of a of a 
after after effect, right? Well, it has but, to be. I mean, it would cost a fortune to go back to the master tapes and get them out and yeah. Go from, and yeah. but I know that uh, Jonathan Morrison actually is he has set himself up with a Logic audio based uh, spatial audio mixing room. It looks amazing, doesn't it? Have you yeah. seen that, Rob? Have you seen? Jonathan Morrison's new room is new. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. And he, some of the biggest engineers out there, like uh, Chris Lord Algie, has uh, built himself an Atmos slash spatial audio room with still his giant, like, API console and everything. <laughs> but, so I, I, think it has, it, I think it has legs. But much like mastering for CD when we went away from analog and started going to digital, it's going to take some time for it to really sound good and, and feel right. Hmm. It, there's going to be a big learning process. And I'm, st I'm still, I'm an old man. I, I like stereo. I, I'm, I'm such a purist that like it took me forever to put a subwoofer <laughs> together with my with my with my two big speakers on a stereo system you know and then i just finally i finally spent a lot of money and i the subwoofer just always stuck out too much and i couldn't get the crossover right and it just like, well the so, people the people who know what they're doing with, with subs always say keep turning it down and if you can still hear it turn it down again and then if you can still yeah. hear it after that turn it down a little bit more which is such yeah. a good point. Um, no, I'm, I'm the same. And again, Rob and I have spoken quite a bit about spatial audio and you know, Dolby Atmos on, on, the, on the podcast. And it's, uh, the, the, I suppose the weird thing about the era 300 is that although it can do all that stuff, it very much depends how you listen to it. Because in, in the environment I have it in the studio at the moment, it's just in the corner of the room and it fills mm. the room. It, it, it does a really good job at doing that. And I guess some of that is to do with, well, I suppose it's, main, it's mainly to do with the way that the, you know, the tweeters are, are angled within the unit. Uh, it's not really, it's not really spatial audio. Whereas if you put them as rear, I mean, it's an expensive rear setup. Right. But if you've got rear era three hundreds in, in a five point one system, you've suddenly got the the Dolby Atmos stuff happening. I've not heard that, but I've heard people talk about it and say it's very impressive. Um, so, I I did a video. I had a I had a Sonos Arc and the Gen three sub and two Sonos. Play once, and had that set up as my surround sound system, and it and it did a pretty good job of playing Dolby Atmos and playing back spatial audio tracks and, and stuff like that. So it was cool to be able to hear it in the room. Uh, but yeah, two two three three hundreds plus the Arc and a sub would be it's nuts. Getting, it's getting expensive, though, isn't it? At that point well i i mean even at 200 dollars, the sonos play ones you know are still both of those are not the same they're 50 bucks cheaper than one era 300 right so so it's uh it's definitely a cost and you're looking at roughly a thousand dollars for those two plus 8.99 for the arc plus 7.99 for the sub and then a lot of people like to go with two subs. So then it's it it becomes who are very these people? <laughs> I don't know. It can become very expensive very quickly, and that's that's where ultimately I think people have to make a choice about Sonos because Sonos's big selling point for me initially was whole home audio being able to network all those speakers together and listen to everything that I'm listening, you know, instead of just having the stereo turned up in the living room, being able to hear it everywhere. Hmm. But they've since, you know, especially with their surround sound stuff uh, and their, and their, and their play, the play bar and then the, the arc, they've, they've changed their MO to be more of a, to be more of a hi-fi replacement and i think that's where people get stuck hmm. because once you get to hi-fi replacement then then you're talking you know, seven eight thousand dollars for everything that you want i mean I've, I've seen people do builds with sonos stuff where they'll, they'll get the sonos amps and they'll have like six of them 
and then wired like, their whole house wired. And I'm just, to me, it's just like, okay, that's great. And those things are incredible, but you're wiring them into your ceiling. Like how good is that going to sound? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're going to lay on the floor to get stereo. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, you know, it's like, well, you're, turning, that, the, you're that, turning the ceiling into a speaker cabinet then, aren't you? That's the thing. You yeah. Bear in mind. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it's the argument between, you know, there's, there's the WAF, the wife acceptance factor and uh, big, you know, floor standing speakers and subs and, components in the in the TV stand and all that kind of stuff. It's really difficult these days to get the the wife acceptance factor going. It's difficult sell, uh, isn't it? So and well, I'm but actually Sonos, quite fortunate in that respect because <clears throat> Mrs. Rob has extraordinary has just has difficulty hearing dialogue. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with her hearing well evidently there must be because she struggles to hear dialogue. And I know everyone sort of these days just due to the way that um, TV and films are mastered. The, the dialogue has become yeah. harder to... Yeah, but she she really has a problem with the, the frequencies of, of, of dialogue. So, yeah, I'm quite fortunate in that we, we've got a an old-school big-box speaker 5.1 system for that dedicated right. centre channel. So I've tried soundbars. We've had um, Yamaha and Bose, and you know, we, we've mm-hmm. given them a go, but they just do not deliver dialogue as well as a dedicated center channel that you've cranked up by 10 db mm. right <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm, as, as a real edge case but i can imagine that lots of people are not fortunate enough to have the the space all the all the waff to get away yeah. with it <laughs> yeah i i mean i'm kind of I've, I've definitely lost some hearing over the years and i struggle to hear dialogue and vox actually has a really great youtube video about why why the audio is so different now and a lot of it is just the dynamic range that is available you know you've got close mic actors and and just the technology is so much better but it's kind of the same thing as when you know people complain about game of thrones being too dark yeah it's it's like well when you're when you're editing and mastering on something that's that's you know the best screen that you could possibly get in the world and most people are watching a $300 television stream you know, yeah so so it becomes really challenging it's like they can do it but back in the back in the old days the back in the old days the, the, the potential of the technology was sort of a limiting factor you know they they had to come up with the how to get records up to line level. So like the whole, what is it, RIAA standard mm-hmm. for turntables was was put together because you could only have so much bass. If the if the bass was too loud and the grooves too deep, then the bass would just kick the, the needle off the record all the time. So they had to they had to figure out how to have the loudness without the bass. And now we don't have those limiting factors with the technology, which does, I think, cause some problems sometimes. Well, no one pays you know, attention I, to luffs, do they? And um, then we had the loudness wars and yeah. you know, ridiculously loud sounding records that everyone's competing against each other, weren't they? Just to sound as big as possible. But Yeah. And uh, to the detriment of, you know, dynamics <clears throat> in any kind of music, you know, it's a, it, it now that I've been recording as a musician since I was 15 and I'm 51 now I've gone I went through ADAT tape and I've I've done two inch two inch reel to reel and I've done it through like I recorded through a Neve board that was in Air Studios London and and was bought and brought over and and recapped and all that kind of stuff so I've gone through all that and in some ways, it's become so much easier to do in the computer all those things that, you know, you could spend half a day setting up a sound that you're trying to get that you just get from a plug-in now. <laughs> and and so, so it's become so much easier, but sometimes at the, 
at the cost of, I don't know, not the feeling of it, but just it can it can feel kind of kind of dry hmm. where there there would be liveliness because you're making the sound in the room, right? And so I'm not somebody who's like I, digital recording is terrible. I do it all the time. I think it's fantastic and it can sound great just like anything else. But most of the people who are who are coming up in the music industry and and other audio jobs didn't go through a period of time where they worked with analog gear and they recorded to tape and they got that sense in their head of what that stuff sounded like. So they only know what it sounds like from a plug-in. I think what's encouraging, I don't know if you, both of you have seen this yet, but Rick, Rick Beato um, published a video recently where he came to London and he went to um, Abbey Road. They let mm -hmm. him to Abbey Road into, into Studio 2. Uh, have, you, have you both seen that yet? I saw it, I saw it come up on my feed yesterday, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I haven't seen it, I was going to ask you if you knew he was over. Yeah, I did. Does, yeah, I knew he was here. Did I, he I pop in to say hi? Or? He didn't, know. He didn't no. come over to Leamington, which is unbelievable, <laughs> but oh, next time I'll, I'll have him. Um, but no, they, they let him into Studio 2 at Abbey Road, and it, it's a, it's about 45 minutes. It's just amazing. And the guy that's showing him around, um, yeah, they go through all the, all the old mics and stuff they've got there, and they've still got the tape machines or versions of the tape machines from the original Be Beatles sessions that are still being used today. Um, and this guy was saying, you know, we, we still have bands coming in without saying who they are. Who, who want to use these tape machines. And it all gets thrown into digital digital anyway, but it's it, they want that kind of feel. And like you were saying, Jess, they, they want to experience what it sounds like and what, and what it's like to work with it. So I, th I thought that was quite encouraging. That there is, There's not many, obviously, but there are still some bands and some artists out there that are actually still using this stuff, which is quite nice. I don't know, how have we yeah. gone to talking about tape from... <laughs> we've gone from talking about YouTube... <laughs> It started with the Sonos. <laughs> this is this is what happens on eight or sixteen, yeah. Jason. Well, you've been on it already, yeah. uh, but we, we go. For, we, we've had some very weird rabbit holes. Um, I want to have a very quick on, on a similar note, though. I want to have a moan about Siri. Okay. Um, I moaned on my blog about it. I think was it today or yesterday. Um, but I, I've, I've just got to get off my chest again. Cause, I mean, basically, I, I got home yesterday, and um, so we, we, just to get a very long story short, we we've replaced Alexa with Siri at home, and all it is it's just one big HomePod and one HomePod Mini, and an Apple TV. Technically, um, I got home yesterday, and uh, Jen was there, and she said, I, "I don't know how much longer I can put up with this." I said, "What's the matter?" She said, "Siri will not respond to me." She's just just flat out refuses to connect to the internet, even though the, the internet is working. And all she's doing is asking for timers and to play the local radio station. Those two things. And all she's ever getting back is thing. Occasionally it works, but more nine times out of ten it is a case of, hmm, that really annoying one, or yeah, all, all the really irritating. There's like this kind of palpable sense of disappointment from Siri saying, oh, "Sorry, I, I, I don't know what you mean." Um, she's got. She's reaching the end of her tether with it, and I, I, I wrote about this, like I say, and, and I realised that I've never, I've always been a bit on the fence with Siri because I've not really put it to use. I've, I've used it a little bit on my phone, but not much. I've, I always turn it off on the Mac because why would you want it on your Mac? Um, but this is the first time I've and I and both Jen have properly used it and relied on it. And Jen's point with it was that for something that sounds very helpful. And that was one of her, um, one of the po positive aspects she found about Siri was that it sounds nicer than Alexa. She's got a nicer voice. She said, she said for something that sounds so helpful, it's the most unhelpful piece of tech we've ever used in the house. And it's unbelievable how bad it is. So, so even though I've had, like I said, I've been on the fence a little bit, now we're trying to just use it and not really putting it to strenuous use. It's useless. So I, I can see what the fuss was about now. Yeah, especially the the Siri that's in the HomePod. The original HomePod, like it was, it, it was like Siri's, you know, dumber cousin or something. <laughs> you know, that just wasn't <laughs> capable of doing the same kinds of things that Siri with the computer or with the phone could do. And Siri with the computer or the phone was already hamstrung compared to some of the other some of the other voice assistants out there. Um, and I don't use it very much either because 
I catch myself doing things the long way. And then I'm like, oh, I could just ask the phone to do this, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and I just, you know, when, I, when I'm searching on Apple TV, I'll like go through and I'll like get halfway through spelling the thing that I'm trying to find. And then I'll, <laughs> it's just, a, I'll just be like, oh, okay, I just do. And it works. Hmm. But the one thing that I've discovered and I've kind of been wanting to get more into, into smart home. So when we moved into this house, our pre, the previous owners had bought Google uh, door, door, doorbells, Google locks, the Google Nest Protect uh, fire and carbon monoxide thing and a couple of cameras. And so everything was wired with Google. And so I was like, okay, I'll try and, I'll try and make that happen. I'll see, I'll see if I just go with Google, uh, what, it, what happens. But of course I did that. And then I changed, I changed my password on my router and everything got kicked off. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't gotten the ladder out and climbed up to the nest protect and like done all that. But it, I think Google has more potential than Alexa. Alexa, for some reason, Alexa feels like very boxed in. You know, you have to know exactly what to ask Alexa to get her to do certain things. You know, it's like all those skills that she has, but you don't know what they are. True. And you don't want to look up in your Alexa app what they are. Yeah, I've, I've never really experienced that. But again, that's because we're, we're very kind of light users of, of yeah. these assistants, really. Yeah, I... <laughs> Siri has so much potential. And when Apple bought them, years before Google Assistant or Alexa really existed on any kind of significant level, I thought, this is the future. You know, voice activated, interactive, AI, blah, 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 right? And it just hasn't happened for any of them. But now that we have all this AI, maybe, because that's really the barrier. That's kind of like the uncanny valley of the voice assistant. Like it can't think back at you. You think I want to. I want to do this, and it's just it's just listening for cues, right? But if it can think back with you and say, "Are you trying to ask me to do this?" You know, and and there's like a give and take in the conversation. Hmm. Maybe it starts to work then. But I just think all of them are hamstrung by the fact that they just don't quite. They just don't quite live up to what. They should be, and Siri is probably the worst offender. Oh, it's by a country mile. I, I can't believe how bad it is, to be honest. And the, the worst thing about it, I mean, we were talking about. I think you mentioned Sonos and how their thing has always been multi-room audio, and that, I, that's right. why I bought it years ago. And, and again, I was reminded with the era three hundred and one hundred how well that works, and it just works straight away, no messing. You can very easily ask it to play in, on different speakers or both of them. As soon as you start doing that with more than one HomePod all hell breaks loose. It's just, right. it's a, a world of pain, which again is no use if you just want to quickly play something in a couple of rooms or if you've got people around, you want you having a party or you're just having dinner or whatever. You, you're faffing around with this thing that is it's just supposed to help you. It's just supposed to work. And I can't believe it's still this bad. I looked into it this morning. I was, I was researching this article and they bought Siri in 2010. Mm -hmm. It's like 13 years ago. And yeah. 13 years of development has Got it, got it nowhere, really. I think yeah. all they've done is change some of the responses. Yeah, I, I truly don't understand why why it wasn't a, a priority. Although, if you think about that timeline, thirteen years ago, one year later, Steve Jobs dies, and so maybe Steve Jobs was, you know, a driving force in wanting to develop that. And once he's gone, it doesn't Maybe. go any, it doesn't go as far as it should. I don't, I mean, I'm just off the top of my head, so I don't really know. But, you know, the, the, the focus of Apple has changed several times since Steve Jobs left us. And, uh, you know, one of the, the iPod being kind of like the, the perfect example. To me, the iPod was... You know, I, I I have issues with digital music and, you know, sort of creating a non-physical 
media in terms of how it affects the artists and how it affected the music industry as a whole. But the whole thousand songs in your pocket idea was is just was just so game changing. And yes, there were MP3 players before the iPod, but the iPod got it right. Mm. And that to me was just, you know, that that's probably Steve Jobs' crowning achievement to me was that he had this vision of thousand songs in, in your pocket and created a whole infrastructure <laughs> around making that possible. Hmm. Changed the changed the paradigm of the industry entirely. And the you know, it's still reverberating to this day. So I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the this patent for AirPods with screens on them. Hmm. And and I just I just wrote a wrote a script and a, made a video today about what you know could this be a new like iPod Nano, you know because you can control your with your Apple Watch you can control things, right? But still, if you do that, you have to have the AirPods and the Apple Watch and the phone, <laughs> and you can get away from the phone. But still, you know it would be great to just have AirPods. And maybe they talk to the phone at some point, but then it becomes a single-use device where you get your podcasts and your music and your audiobooks and all that kind of stuff. And I, I love and miss the idea of single-use devices. Like the Kindle might be, one of, might be my favorite piece of technology right now because I can get in bed at the end of the day with my Kindle and not have to worry about whether or not I'm going to check Twitter, you know, yep. distraction <laughs> and, free. And I just and I just read. Mm. So I, and that's what I really liked about. That's what I really liked about you know everything from the Walkman, all the way up through CD Walkman and and the iPod, was that it really was a silo of your musical. You know, snapshot of your musical taste at that time. What about mini mini disc? You know, did wasn't, you ever get involved with the mini disc? I never did. Uh, the The players were. I was always. I always thought, wow, oh, it's really interesting, and it'll get better. But then it, there just wasn't the wasn't the market for it. Ultimately, there were some mini disc like home recorded like four track machines that were really interesting. But yeah, it's mini disc is kind of like the the jazz drive <laughs> they were like brilliant for live a, music we, I, yeah. I used to work with my dad's band for many years and we we, right. we relied on mini disc for years just for backing tracks and stuff and in in that industry you probably yeah. know Jason, it was they were just revered revered and um mm -hmm. when they disappeared it was like one of those things that who, who's got the last few mini discs how many are left in circulation where can you get them right. from it's like um yeah like a drug. does jason know the but, nature um, yeah. of your dad's band Probably not. No, I, I don't think so. I, I know that you you've mentioned several times that you that he had the band and you worked with him, but I didn't. I don't know much of the details. Well, we might as well finish on a really surreal <laughs> note because we've, we've been all around the houses. So um, why not finish with this? But yeah, no. My, my dad was a Elton John tribute act for oh cool nearly twenty years, I think. Um, he's retired now, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he's a musician, a bit like yourself, musician his entire life. Um, he wasn't he wasn't full time for his entire life. He was. It was always a, a weekend, you know, gigging at the weekends. Um, but yeah, in sort of the early two thousands, he he um, he went for it and kind of from, from off, off the advice of a magician, if you could make all this up, who said to him, who heard him singing the Keter or something, and said, "You've got to go for this. There's a uh, there's serious money to be made, and you'll 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 love it. You'll get to travel the world." And he did. He he did it for like I say, twenty years. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. I mean, I remember. I've been a huge Beatles fan since I was eight years old. And a Beatles tribute band came to my town and played the high school auditorium. And I think tickets were expensive and I was still like nine or 10 years old. And so I couldn't go. And I was very sad because they sounded like, it, it sounded like the only way I could have that experience. But I, I did go, we, we went to Las Vegas probably three or four years ago at this point for my wife's birthday and the hotel we were staying in had a Beatles tribute band and uh, they were actually really fantastic. Mm. I, I just, 
knowing knowing how hard it is to play those songs and to sing, especially to sing them. Like I was, I was just blown away. So when you hear somebody, you know, really able to do that well and carry it off, not just to be able to sing the song, but to carry off everything that goes along with it. It's, it's very, it's very impressive, you know? And, and so that's, that's very cool. It's quite humbling. Yeah. I mean, obviously within that industry as well, that there were a lot of Elton John, tributes but my dad sings and plays keys you know he's, he's a pianist right. and a very he's my dad i'm, I'm gonna say this obviously but he's a very good pianist and a very good singer um but virtually every other one of his competitors if you call them that none of them played piano at all they all sat there behind a, a um, digital piano that wasn't turned on um and a lot of them were doing better you know, they, were, they were getting even bigger gigs and doing bigger things which used to really really piss him off because um, yeah. he, he really loved his craft and still does loves his craft you know and um spent ages working on, on on songs but that's part of that industry isn't it um yeah, yeah. guys we are gonna have to wrap it up because jason i know you're you're a busy man anyway and uh we've we've had you twice now and one of them is forever <laughs> I, lost i i just i'm just into talking about stuff so i'm, <laughs> well, I'm always the, happy to it will not be the last time whatever yeah it won't be the last time because i think yeah you, you kind of get eight or 16 because you you appreciate it, it just goes anywhere we just talk about <laughs> yeah. anything so Thank you so much yeah, for coming absolutely. on again, Jason. And um, oh, absolutely. I think we all hit record, which is the main thing. That's all I care about. We're all record, yeah, I, recording I, still. I'm seeing that the, the numbers are still moving. <laughs> Rob's so crossing his fingers as well, so I think we're okay. So if you're hearing this, then it all it all worked fine. But um, <laughs> no, thanks, Jason. It's been brilliant, and uh, we will absolutely have you on again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye.